When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everybody. This is Baco, and I'd like to welcome you to the debut episode of Whatever, Nevermind. What is Whatever, Nevermind? Well, I thought I'd go ahead and break it down for you before we get going into this week's episode, the very first and ever episode. When I first started thinking about doing a sidecast, my criteria was pretty much this. I didn't want to do a copy of Cobras and Fire because that ain't going anywhere. Luce and I are still going to be churning out episodes at least a couple times a month. And it needed to be rock-centric because it's still going to be on the Cobras and Fire feed, as you can clearly see. And, you know, there's enough KISS podcasts out there. So while I could definitely do a show on KISS, uh, I don't know that I could add anything to the conversation that isn't already being taken care of. Uh, but one thing that came up in 2019, Luce and I did an episode on the Alice in Chains record, Dirt. And the reaction to that really made us realize that grunge doesn't have a lot of love in the podcast world, aside from all the Carnival Souls episodes uh, that some of those KISS podcasts have done. Um, <laughs> in fact, a lot of music-themed podcasts are started by people who kind of resent grunge and what it represents. Uh, still upset, I guess, that a Columbia didn't give Dog Eat Dog a bigger push. But So there is kind of a hole there, at least. Uh, and, you know, we could be down in a hole if you want to go that direction. Um, Thinking about that, there's this podcast called The 500 with Josh Adam Myers, where he is counting down the Rolling Stones' 500 greatest albums of all time. I'm going to do that, but with grunge. Uh, so zero points to me for creativity. I'm uh, I'm really just hoping everybody's going to tune in for the content, I guess. That's what I'm banking on. Each week, I'll have a guest host, and we will count down Rolling Stones' 25 greatest grunge albums. The list is out there if you want to see what's coming up, but maybe it'll be more fun if you just kind of check it out as we go along here. I know Rolling Stone sucks, but this appealed to me because on this list are records I don't like, haven't heard of, sort of forgotten. And sticking to an outsider's list, it kind of frees you up at the same time it challenges you. So this is, uh, you know, it's just a way to kind of keep things interesting. At least that's that's my goal. Uh, if it sucks and it's not any damn fun, I'm going to quit pretty quick. So uh, you, you have a promise there. I'm also going to be asking my special guest host each week to give me their own personal ranking of these 25 records only. And if we actually make it to the, the number one album, we'll have 25 episodes. And at that point, we'll have our own kind of uh, uh, re-ranked top 25, kind of using like a, an average basis going through it. So I'm going to do some math at the end. So you know that's going to be fun. Uh, as for when you can look for these episodes, all I can tell you is I plan to drop these on Tuesdays when we don't have a Cobras and Fire episode ready. Uh, that includes the interviews we do and all that kind of stuff. So maybe two a month, sometimes less. Uh, and like I said, if this totally sucks and it's not fun, I'm going to bail anyway. So, But I'm pretty sure this is going to be cool. And also, uh, you know, with it being 25, we know there's only going to be 25 episodes. I, I hope in that time, if I, I either won't want to do sidecasts anymore or I'll have a much better idea of what I want to do. But uh, that's about it. Let's do this. Whatever, never mind. Episode one. 
see what, what it's called. Whatever, never mind. Okay, <laughs> What's my it's your show. <laughs> Welcome to the very first episode, the debut episode of Whatever, Never Mind, where Baco goes deep on grunge. My name is Baco. I'm your host. Uh, I'm joined by a very special guest, fellow Twin Cityan, uh, Andy Shaw. Andy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Baco. It's a pleasure to be in the uh, dungeon basement studios here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have <laughs> you, man. You brought us gifts, so let's uh, yes, tell the. Uh, why don't you tell the the listeners what you brought me here? Well, at the, my local liquor store, I've seen this on the shelf for about the last six months, and I've just been uh, hesitant to buy it. And uh, I knew I was going to be on the show today, so I stopped in the liquor store and picked up a couple, a uh, four pack of Iron Maiden Trooper Premium British Beer. Hello. One what, pint cans. What do you say we crack these babies open and see what yes, they taste sir. like, all right? Mm. I run to the hills with this one. Yes. Ace you know, is high, indeed. <laughs> yeah, this is a, it's a grunge-themed show, though. Shouldn't you have brought, like, a, I don't know, a six-packer or a sixer of Rainier? Uh, <laughs> yes. Can you even get that locally anymore? Uh, I don't think so. Have Maybe you heard a... of Rainier beer? Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember because that, that was almost like one of the, the the byproducts of, like, grunge kind of blowing up is that suddenly everything <laughs> Seattle became cool, like Starbucks. Yes. And this shitty beer called Rainier, which was named after Mount Rainier, which is apparently in uh, Washington State somewhere. There used to be Rainier draft commercials on 937 uh, or 93x back in the early was 90s. the edge uh, before the edge oh. when it was when it was hard oh, rock. that's right that's right uh they, they actually were playing like jackal one day and it was uh rem <laughs> there we go uh, actually that's where i uh, got back into kiss because they were playing revenge oh, not, oh that's uh, right you know i first heard uh uh, welcome to the Kiss podcast. I first heard uh, Unholy. Me and my roommate stayed up for like an hour. They kept going and coming up next, the new Kiss song. You know, and it took like an hour. We were doing dishes and doing all this shit, waiting to hear this damn thing. But yeah, when it did, it just blew our fucking minds. Like, ah, it's the greatest song ever. <laughs> yeah, I got stuck listening to I Just Wanna. So, oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit of a rip off of uh, oh, is that 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 Cochran song, right? Uh, oh. Summertime Blues. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but um. Uh, yeah, uh, it w- yeah, where the fuck was I going? Uh, see, this is what happens when I do a podcast. And you know, he- this this tastes what the essence of Bruce Dickinson is like, I'm sure. <laughs> the essence of Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> you know, there's a dick in his name. <laughs> <laughs> well, not in my mouth. So. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the night's still young. I don't know. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it was a Rainier commercial. Was it like Rainier, 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 yes. Rainier, Yeah, okay. Or, uh, Rainier draft, Rainier draft. Thank you. Yeah, Something fuck. Like that. Oh, draft beer. What a fucking joke that was. It's like, yes. it's like keg beer taste in a can. Mm. Uh, what was the point of that? I just, uh, it's kind of like where Keystone had the bottled flavor in yes, a can. Yes, yes. It's like, why would I not just get a bottle of beer? You're bringing me back to my high school drinking days with Keystone talk and Rainier draft talk. All right, so. right on. Well, uh, let's get it. Let's get into the, the kind of the whole point of what I'm doing here. Um, there is one. Oh yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I explained it in the intro to this show that people will hear, but uh, uh, just to catch everybody up to speed, basically, I'm going to count down the 25 greatest grunge albums according to Rolling Stone. Now, again, I don't have a whole lot of respect or love for Rolling Stone, but I kind of like the idea that you, you stick to a list that isn't yours, and it's almost like, first of all, it kind of frees you up a little bit that you don't have to overthink things and you can kind of follow a pattern. But it's also a little bit of a challenge to kind of stick to it because. I know you're not a big grunge fan, just based on our conversations uh, prior to this, but if I was to make my own top 25, it would look a lot different than this. 
Uh, yes, and actually, I would probably take a, a couple bands off. Well, for certainly the Stone Temple Pilots, because I've never really considered them grunge. Okay. And they have, what, like two or three albums in the top 20? They definitely got two. Um, Purple yeah. and... Uh, Purple and... Uh, um, you, you, you know, the you, other you, one. Yeah, the other <laughs> one. Uh, uh, not, not Tiny Music. Uh, core. Yes. Uh, well, now we're... Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, uh, the list is out there. I mean, if, yeah. you, if people want to ruin the, the, the experience for themselves or, or just whatever, see what's coming up, go yeah. ahead, check it out. Um, it's actually a top 50 list, but I did not want to commit to 50. <laughs> uh, I was like, because I'm, I'm really kind of... I'm kind of thinking by the end of this... Uh, I'll uh, I'll either be sick of doing a sidecast, uh, we'll be too busy with Cobras and Fire, or I'll have a much better idea that's actually a little more unique to mine. <laughs> I actually stole this whole concept from another podcast, counting down the 500 uh, greatest just albums in general that Rolling Stone put together. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I, we'll we'll have some fun. I do like grunge music a lot. Um, I, I definitely bought into it, uh, the, the the counterculture and all that kind of stuff at the time. I had a flannel shirt back in the day. I, you know, th- that was the great thing about grunge is that basically uh, it was the first time that there was like a pop culture movement where I already owned all the clothes. <laughs> the only thing I couldn't afford was the Doc Martens. Yes, they're very true. And uh, what I didn't have, I could just steal from the back of my dad's closet because you know he had a couple old flannel shirts just laying around. So I knew there's zero chance that I didn't do that. Yeah, and even like <laughs> long underwear, like being seen, you know, was like not a big deal. So. Um, anyway, I, I did look up, I'll do a little research. I found out something from study.com that call that basically what is grunge. And this is how they did describe it. Let's see if, uh, if you, me and the listeners agree, uh, guitars, heavy rock, heroin, plaid shirts and ripped jeans, Doc Martens and Converse, guys with long, messy hair. That seems kind of fair. True. True. Again, this is all from something called study.com. Uh, the word grunge actually means dirt, the distorted and dirty guitars and vocals, as well as the sloppy appearance of the band members. <laughs> and this alternative rock could be one reason for the use of this word. Uh, I didn't really read that very clean, but uh, who cares? The actual first person known to coin the term grunge was a writer, Paul Ramble, never heard of the guy. He wrote for uh, NME, New Musical Express, the British magazine. Uh, I have heard of that. Yeah. But apparently he used it in a 1978 article. And uh, But many people give a Mark Arm from Green River. Did they have an album in the top 25, do you recall? They do. Okay. All right. Now, that's one of the ones that I didn't really get into. I, I know um, I know the name Mark Arm, and, and I know him from Green River, but uh, I don't. I never got into them as far as that. Other than I think they have a song in the single soundtrack. Yes, I believe so. And then uh, I had read a couple years ago the book that was the oral history of the Seattle Sound. Um, like everyone wants to live in our town or something yeah. to that effect, which was a pretty good book. Uh, I remember him talking about Green River and a lot of the bands we're talking about here. Um, but I was just reading it as an outsider reading about grunge. Okay. So not like I was familiar with most of the bands that they were discussing. A little bit later, I'll kind of touch on it. We can share our stories as far as what our personal relationship to this music is, if there is, even is one. But uh, we should probably uh, crack the egg on this omelet and uh, at least mention what we're doing today. We have, coming in at number 25, is the Melvin's 1991 record, Bullhead. Now, 
Much to the chagrin of Joey Haney, I was not able to track down somebody who liked the Melvins when I when I first was reaching out to people that I thought to, to join this podcast. Yep. Um, it dawned on me just a, a couple days ago. You and I had already talked about doing this a few weeks ago, right. uh, and, and you agreed to, to be the guinea pig. said, fuck it. I'll listen to the damn record. I'll come down. We'll talk about it. And I, so I really appreciate that. But it just dawned on me the other day. It's like, fuck, I should just launch this thing out into that, that uh, page that uh, Chris just started, the, oh. the podcaster conversation group on facebook and i did so i got a lot of feedback but one of them was joey haney saying and he listed off a bunch of bands so i'll, I'll get joey on the show for sure but i was like melvin's motherfucker uh, i actually messaged him right away is like god damn it you know because i like melvin's but uh i actually was happy that they opened for kiss on the reunion tour and they came through here oh you know i mean because i think they were changing up a lot of bands but oddly enough i've probably heard i don't know i, I own at least a half dozen of their records okay this is not one of the ones i'd ever heard though how about you? Uh, I the only uh, my relationship with the Melvins was I'd only hear about uh, Kurt Cobain referencing them in interviews and wearing sure. like their T-shirts and stuff. So uh, I had zero clue about the music. I just knew it was heavy and the the forefathers of the grunge movement, if you will. I do think they kind of epitomize the tonality qualities you look for in grunge. We'll break that down a lot more as we get into some of these tracks. But you brought up. Uh, uh, obviously, Kurt Cobain dropping uh, or Kurt Cobain name dropping these guys once uh, Nirvana kind of broke. I do kind of like how the Seattle scene helped each other out because you know, being someone who was part of the, the Minneapolis music scene, I didn't really experience anything like that. Hmm. It was more competitive. It was more you know, uh, here's the you know, step on people. You know, and, and we're talking about, and, and I'm not talking about people that like sold millions of records at, at the it's like well i got the third slot and i kind of sandbagged you and you have now the fifth slot or if it's a weeknight you're headlining thanks for coming you know because you know nobody's there right like even the band that fucking booked the show leaves yeah so uh but uh, back to uh um kurt cobain there are some in- interesting notes um, uh, Dale Dale Crover. No, basically the, the Melvins. I should say before I say this, has been two guys, uh, King Buzzo yep. and uh, Dale Crover. Uh, so uh, for you know, if, if Craig Smith actually listens to this episode, uh, there is it. a more ridiculous name than Loose Cannon, King Buzzo. <laughs> uh, but he, he still goes by Buzzo or Buzz. But uh, the, but the two of them, and they had on base basically a Spinal Tap member. Yes. It was just self destruct all the time. They've they've had just a ton of them. Um, but Dale uh, Crover played drums at Nirvana early on, long before they, they broke and all this stuff. Uh, and Buzz Osborne, uh, which is uh, King Buzzo, uh, he would actually introduce uh, Kurt Cobain to Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl. This is according to Wikipedia, so none of that's probably true. But I do know this one thing is to be true, is that their bass player for a good stretch of time during this period, and on this record we're going to talk about today, was a, a girl they called Lorax. Her real name is Lori Black, and she's a daughter of Shirley Temple. I knew Shirley Temple's daughter was a bass player, but I didn't realize she played for the Melvins. And I, it was just blowing my mind, because once we start talking about some of these songs, I'm just trying to picture Lori going home and saying, Mom, here's my new album. Uh. <laughs> here's a song. Here's here's the lead track, Boris. And, you know. Uh. Uh, Shirley Temple, Good Ship Lollipop. What the hell are you going to do with Boris? Uh, it says here that, that Bullhead is a slower, more droney music style for the band. Uh, yes I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. It, well, I mean, it's that's their music. I just, I don't know. You mentioned like bringing the record home. What do, What did you think of the album cover? Let's talk about that for a second. Oh gosh! Uh, right just a, uh, yeah, I was gonna say it was the bowl of fruit. <laughs> it's like a basket with like a, I don't know. It's like a, what are they got? Like grapes, a couple apples, pineapple. Yeah. 
glass of wine. Do you remember the old '40s singer Carmen Miranda? Who oh yeah, danced that's her hat. Basket? There yeah, you there go. you go. Yeah, and a uh, glass of vino in front. Well, a couple. Uh, let's just get out, break down the statistics of the record here. It was released on May third, nineteen ninety one, on I think it was CV. Did I get that right? I can't find it now. Uh, CV Records. I don't know. Oh no, nope. Bo- Boner. Boner Records. All right. Someone Boner. was a fan of uh, Growing Pains in the Eighties. Exactly. <laughs> as, uh, what's his name's best friend? Uh, That's right. Uh, Mike pro- Seaver. Mike Seaver. <laughs> Uh, it was produced by somebody called Jonathan Burnside. I had to look him up. It turns out he's produced a ton of shit. Most of it not notable. Like I mean, like he's still going, but no, I, these aren't bands that I've, I've heard of. But uh, uh, he did a bunch of more Melvin's records. Like he even did the Houdini record, which is one of my favorite ones by them. Uh, he did. Uh, he was. He produced and. The, he also produced the, I think it's the debut record from Clutch, Transnational Speedway League. Um, he was a co-engineer on the Faith No More's record album of the year, and Fu Manchu. I'm not familiar with this record, but I do like the Fu. Uh, kept between trees on Slap and Ham Records. That's probably why I haven't heard of that one. Never heard of that record label. No, but, uh, I'm kidding. Jonathan Burnside, quite the uh, producer of records I've never listened to. <laughs> so he's got that going for himself. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, he's got a gig, right? And again, the lineup on this record is on drums, Dale Crover, Buzz Osborne on guitar and vocals, and Lorax, Lori Black, daughter of Shirley Temple on bass. So when you did your research, did you come across anything of interesting note uh, or any oddball things that kind of popped out at you besides Shirley Temple? Uh, Well, the fact that Gene played bass with them at a concert in 93. Oh, right, because they were going blind. blind. Uh, Did you ever hear the story that they actually um, got bumped from uh, that Kiss My Ass tribute because uh, Flavor of the Month, Dinosaur Jr. guy, (laughs) who, by the way, would go on to say he couldn't give two shits about Kiss, they bumped uh, Melvin's, who had been huge fans. They they actually did a parody of the uh, solo albums. Uh, oh, where really? like the three members did like the the album covers look just like the Kiss solo albums. Oh, nice! And they each, but they all have like three three or four songs. But true Kiss fans, and I actually give grunge credit for that. If anything, is like because remember during the eighties, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Motley Crue, Rat, Warrant, Poison, Trickster. These bands were not praising Kiss. No, they they were trying later. to distance themselves from them a little bit. You know, like oh we're. We're not that, but once Nirvana broke, suddenly all these bands were like fucking Kiss. You know, even Pantera was coming up around that time. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so at, at least there's that. <laughs> what else you got? Uh, let's see here. Well, the uh, the genres that this album gets lumped into is pretty uh, pretty unique. You mean besides grunge? Besides grunge? Well, uh, besides alternative or Seattle sound? What exactly. do you got? So we have stoner metal. You know, I guess I can kind of see that a little bit, but I think, uh, God, they just don't have the. Uh, okay, carry on. I just, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that one. All right, I can then see we why have they do sludge metal, which uh, mm. I can see this is like molasses in December, just kind of slow laboring roll. Definitely sludgy. Yeah, uh, alt metal and hardcore punk. So it kind of gets lumped in with all of that. Hardcore. Hmm. Yeah. Scott Ian and I have an issue well, with that. Well, very you know, true. Uh, you, you understand, Scott Ian and I used to get our asses kicked going to hardcore shit. No. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with uh, that. But yeah, whatever. Fuck it. Call them all sorts of different things, right? 
So uh, yeah, and it's kind of the uh, they're kind of the forefathers, like we said, of grunge. Um, yeah, because they still this kind is of their third record in '91, and they had yeah. an EP before their first actual full length. And, Correct. Uh, Gluey Porch Treatments, I believe, was the first record. I own that one somewhere. Um, that was a little weird. I actually looked up uh, uh, some YouTube footage of of them on this tour. Okay. Uh, I found a full concert from Chicago, and uh, I have only seen King Buzzo with that giant fro that he had. I don't know if you, if you know what he looks like. I, I was going to say, it's, it kind of reminded me of some of the pictures I saw of uh, Sideshow Bob from the Simpsons. Oh, yeah. It's a great great, uh, great visual for the listener. Uh, but yeah, around this time, he had like kind of a buzzed haircut with just kind of a weird kind of straggly thing kind of dripping yeah. over his head. Uh, uh, so he hadn't really kind of gone full-on fro yet. Uh, and now he's like full-on fro gray and white. And, uh, yeah. Um, and he either knows somebody like he's a part, was he part owner of Grumpy's in Minneapolis or, oh. uh, there's some connection there cause they played there a lot before it closed. Okay. Uh, the one down by the, the, the stadium there, uh, Washington. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, for all you Minneapolis people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For for the the Twin Cities listeners. Holy cripes, the one down off downtown. We we sound like New Yorkers now. Yeah. So, you know, over there on 42nd and 23rd, right? (laughs) Yeah. It was like, I talk like everybody knows the fucking landmarks. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, but, uh, take the seven train to that one, right? We're the Minneapolis, so fuck that. We can do it too. And this, uh, this trooper beer is tasting good. Yeah. It's not bad. So let's get into the record a little bit. Um, I had a chance, like I said, this was my first time listening to it. Um, I actually listened to it, I think, about four times. And it's basically one really long song. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but Very long. Since we're, we're trying to do a, like an actual episode of, of, of a show here, let's go, to, let's go track by track. What do you say? Let's do it. with Boris and uh, let me see uh, the notes I have here are if you've never heard the Melbans before and this is the first thing this actually is a fair representation of what they are with one exception the song is 8 minutes and 35 seconds long they typically don't go I mean that long to me at that point once you get into about the 5-6 minute mark and you don't know when it's going to end <laughs> this is like Tool's idiot stepbrother you know, as I like to say, but uh, well, that and the whole album's only thirty-five minutes long. So for this right. one, eight and a half minutes, <laughs> it's the it's opening like, track. Jesus Christ! Yeah. Let's get to. 
And we never get to a chorus. <laughs> uh, ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> there's no melodies. There's no hooks. There's no fucking background vocals. Uh, I mean, they got uh, Lorax and uh, Dale. I've never he- uh, heard them sing backup on any of these tracks. So it's strictly King Buzzo, you know, just leading the, uh, leading the song. Let's get a little taste of the lyrics for the listeners here. I'm not sure we're the best plot to pick it. This is also, I mean, not just the longest song, but this is the they have. This easily has the most lyrics. Yes, uh, which is kind of this actually has a lot of lyrics. But I'm going to read a little bit from the, from verse three, if if that's what it's called. It's a killer. She's a killer maker. It reaches in and takes from the back of your mind. I'm not awake, still alive. Twenty bucks has the back and the and see the lines. I got a small, got what they call the lack, a lack of halfway cooked, but it's my own. Uh, that really, that that line in particular touches me. <laughs> um, it, it, it just, it, I, I, I just, I feel the pain or joy. Not sure where he's going here, but I feel it. Heroin by? Yeah, heroin. You know, I, I do believe Buzzo's been clean his whole life, a straight edge. Yes, I think I read that as well, that he does not partake in any booze or alcohol. Yeah, I, he definitely does now, but uh, he's he's not the reason that Seattle went all heroin-y, heroin-y but, uh, which is kind of a bummer because, you know, we need something interesting to talk about. And actually, these guys are kind of boring. <laughs> a little bit. So yeah, I gave this five star. Or I gave this five Doc Martins out of five. Five Doc Martins, the song. Yeah, what, what would, uh, I, I, I didn't ask you to rate them, but uh, let's pull it out of your ass. What do you got? Uh, I would give it a two. A two because no. it's eight and a half minutes long. Okay. on a thirty-five minute album, and it's the first track. So I'm just like, fucking hey, let's get to it, man. And like I said, there's there's no melody, there's no hooks, there's nothing to keep you going. It's just one long monotonous. Uh, song and I said he's he does more snarling than singing. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not really uh, like I said. There's not a lot of melody in this. So, do, do you think that they recorded it and it was actually about two and a half minutes? And then when the album was done, they're like, "This thing's only 32 minutes. We need <laughs> at least six more minutes. Let's go back and re-record Boris. I got some more lyrics. If you like low low end frequencies, this is your song." This album, yeah, well, the whole album too, <laughs> but this song in particular just is kind of low and dark, dank sounding. You know, so. I, I think he missed the boat. He should have got like when when they signed to a major label, he should have got a, like a signature guitar deal with like Gibson or somebody. And there is no frets past the fifth fret. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's just I don't need them. Yeah, just, why uh, why have frets at all? <laughs> uh, well, he can't, well, fretless bass, I suppose. There but uh, all right. Uh, anything more on Boris? Uh, no, not really. I did mark down that uh, at the six thirteen mark. Uh, you think the sing the song is over, and then it just sort of starts over. Yeah, you know, it kind of it it, it, it it goes back to the beginning, yeah. and, and oddly that you can actually tell it is, but it's kind of like <laughs> that. They they kind of go like lighter, like any talk sings like this. But uh, yeah, so again, five Doc Martens. Off, so I give it a five out of five. Uh, all right, up next is Anaconda, a little more brisk, 2 minutes and 24 seconds.
Okay, we're probably just going to read a lot of these lyrics because they're so fucking ridiculous. But uh, like a sore, how do you know? What, how does this really? I wonder if these are right. Like a sore, a lore, a lie. What tells a mind to mine? Rough, like like rough dog. Rough, sewed in Mullins a heartbreaker. Cause she lonely cell, like moaning woes to lie sin. Cause she's a keen. What do you think? Uh, very fucking Shakespeare. Yeah, very reminiscent of Paul McCartney, Moonspoon in oh. June. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you got it. not a lot of not a lot of rhyming schemes going on. I wonder how often uh, Buzzle's lyrics get compared to the, <laughs> the ry- lyric stylings of Paul McCartney. Oh, no matter what the man said. Yeah, uh, you know, when uh, Paul backed out of like the Beatles reunion with Julian Lennon, <laughs> they were this close to doing it with Buzzo. <laughs> sure, I could see that happening. Oh, man. I, I don't know if Ringo could quite pull off, uh, you know, the same uh, drum styling as uh, Dale Crover, but... Uh, well, how would you describe the drumming? Because um, I, 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 I'm I familiar with it, but I'm like, fuck, I, I'm not sure. It's it, it's like a lot of Tom work, but it's yeah. not... Is it jazz? Ooh, good question. Uh, Bill it's, Ward? Um... Not on this song, but on some of the other songs, it gets a little more, you know, you get a little more fills going, finally, and it's driving, Um, but yeah, it's... uh it's interesting. He plays loud. He plays fucking loud. Oh for yeah, sure. I mean, reminiscent of like a John Bonham. Yeah, uh, I, I guess. Yeah, and I, I mean, guess people, he plays people right now are probably shitting themselves. Like, like they were okay with the Beatles comparison, <laughs> but right now it's like, oh, you do not fucking, you do not just fucking compare Dale Crover to John Bonham. I'm sorry, guys. Oh man, I'm just as far as loudness and uh, I, yeah, of thundering. Course of course, that's what you were saying. Yeah, no, he's uh, look, he might be as good. Fuck if I know. He just doesn't show it on this stuff. It's like. Uh, <laughs> It is weird. It is like again, Tool's idiot stepbrother. I mean, it it kind of is reminiscence of somebody who's like a really big Tool fan, yeah. but not very good. Sure, it's like oh, I love what's the Danny Carey. I think is the the Tool drummer. Um, he's like, yeah, that's a, that's my guy, but I'm just not that good. So I just uh, I this is what I do. Kind of shrugs and like, eh. <laughs> like he's in the studio like. How is that? <laughs> also, as someone who's actually had to learn a Melvin song, yes, I'm curious if they struggle remembering how to play their own shit because there's no like, you know, the, the, you know, it's nice as a musician when things kind of like almost like patterns and blocks. Sure, um, the, their music doesn't have that. It's like we do that. Eleven times. Where's the bridge? Come yeah. on. Yeah, and then and then this we do hit these two notes, and then back to that eleven thing. But now it's seventeen, <laughs> and then four. Yeah, and then one, and then seven. <laughs> it's just like yeah. yeah there's not a lot of uh, the pattern of the song. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I gave this five Doc Martens. <laughs> you gave this one five. Okay. Well, this one I liked better than Boris because it was a little faster tempo. Yeah. Uh, great guitar and drums on this one, but like I said, I had no clue on the fucking lyrics until I went to the Melvin's Wiki site, which yeah. which the, the the lyrics you have pulled up here look like the ones I saw okay. on that site as well. So I hate to think there's more than you know two people in this world that have sat down to try to decipher these out mm. line by line. You know, I, I shared it with you off mic, but yeah, I as I told you, like when uh, when I was in the band Bloody Bedsheets. One of the we all got to pick one song to cover, and our drummer picked this one. And it was, you know, 
I had to decipher the lyrics because there was no lyric sheet with Melvin shit, and there's right. no like internet for this kind of stuff. I mean, the internet existed, but there's no songbook at Schmidt Music. <laughs> uh, I'd looked, but no, it was uh, sold out. Okay. Apparently, I wasn't the only person having this problem. But uh, my God, try picking this shit out by ear. Which maybe it's maybe that's how these guys did it too. But all right, track three though is uh, called uh, Ligature. Take the lead on this one, Andy. Oh, I get to read? Okay. Uh, oh, no. Your thoughts oh, okay. on it. Yeah, you can My have thoughts it. on this one? Uh, unintelligible rambling is what I said for the lyrics. You just cannot make out what the hell he's trying to say. You know, we're three tracks in. It doesn't it feel like almost anything, any attempt we make to describe anything about every any song is going to be up, applicable so far to yeah, every tune? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you just, like I said, there's, there's no hooks. Uh, there's no choruses, so you don't, you know, get the uh, the rhythm of the song. You don't get it, uh, you know. You don't find those hooks. So yeah, it's definitely not music for someone who's addicted to the the verse chorus verse chorus right. bridge solo pattern. Um, they could it, have used a Mutt Lang here. Do you think? It, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what Mutt Lang would have done with the with Melvin. Melvin's the other thing. It's like I couldn't track down. Is it the Melvins or Melvins? I'm not sure. Is there an official? Oh, good question. You know, I saw both, both ways. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm unsure. I think Maybe. it is Melvins. Can you have a? Uh, uh, a gender fluid band name, <laughs> or you know, or be a, a band name that's Pan, like it's mm. both. You know, it's like I, I identify as both Melvins and the Melvins. Is it the Beatles or no, the Eagles or Eagles or Beatles and the Beatles? Yeah. I don't know. Or Kiss and the Kiss, <laughs> <laughs> or my favorite, it actually kind of gets some uh, uh, some of their fans a little. Uh, because I do it intentionally is the fish <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh be careful you motherfucker you motherfucker oh that's right <laughs> sorry Greg uh, I gotta be careful there I, I've already pushed it too far with him once uh, okay. uh, it was a lot of work getting back in his good graces and you know you know he's a, a powerful and attractive man very much so uh, yeah so I gotta 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 keep things cool with uh, with uh, the old pods and sods Craig right. uh, Eric can go fuck himself but uh, <laughs> uh, but not Craig Yes, yes. All right, a little bit from the lyrics. Uh, I don't even know if this last last word of this line is a word, but uh, I can see you like a rel, <laughs> like a man doe in law, and row, like some dance stone in less, and row stole. I might Nemo men cause, and lax. It's beautiful. It really is. I mean, seriously. I mean, you know. The guy who writes lyrics like this doesn't go to bed alone often. No, no. no. Swimming in pussy. 
<laughs> I was thinking he was going to bed with a book with uh, a pen <laughs> writing lyrics. <laughs> Should have had this be the uh, opening song at my wedding reception. Oh, this yes, This would have yes. been, you know, sealed the deal. Uh, Melvins get a lot of offers to play weddings. <laughs> yeah. Wedding singers? Yeah. <laughs> They're uh, too busy doing bar mitzvahs, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, is that because that, that, you think he's, uh, uh, is Osborne a Jewish name? Uh Sure. I don't think so. All right, there, there we went kind of off the rails Uh-oh. there. Uh, keeping her clean here. Uh, the next song, tr- uh, track four, is called It's Shove. on this one, Nady. This is my favorite song on the album by far. I give six out of five Doc mm. Martens for this one. Oh, by the way, I had two Doc Martens on the last track. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's about what yeah. I'd give it to. Okay, so six out of five on this one, huh? Yes. You're really pushing uh, her. I said this resembles an actual song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got some driving drums and bass. I mean, uh, these guys are just kicking ass in this one. I agree. Uh, it's moving. Uh, you throw on some awesome guitar licks on top of it. Lyrically, I'm still drawing a blank, but you know, hell, I can uh, I can uh, tap my foot and slap uh, slap my knee with this one. So, yeah, all right. I literally wrote down uh, finally a drum beat, 
Uh, this is almost a real rock song. Hell yeah. So we almost said the exact same thing. This is almost like, now it's something like, uh, uh, this is a side of the Melvins I really dig, because they do more of this later on. Like I said, Houdini and uh, Stoner Witch are two records I would encourage people to check out. I know Houdini's a little further up in the list. Again, spoiler alert, but... Uh, um, yeah, I will give Buzz a little bit of credit because I think the guitar tone on this record is really good, yeah. and especially for the, that grunge sound. It, it and you're talking low budget recording before Pro Tools and all that stuff, and to capture the that sound that actually is very much what it's like to to, to see them live is not easy to do when you have a giant budget. So the fact that they're able to pull it off, I'm not exactly sure what he does. It has to be low tech, but uh, yeah, uh, and that, and I think the drum to- the the drum sound is actually. If for that boomy kind of sound yep. is actually recorded pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really liked it shoved. Uh, like you said, it's uh, it resembles a song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the halfway point before we flip it over to side two of the cassette or we'll just pause the CD. I suppose it's the nineties, right? right? Um, Tell me a little bit about like where, how where do you fit in the grunge world? Um, are you a fan? Not a fan? Did you buy in? Did you where did you come in? If you did, oh, if gosh. you didn't, why not? A uh, fan of the uh, kind of the more traditional rock guys. I mean, I consider uh, um, Soundgarden to be more of a you know metal rock band than sure. a grunge band. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, same thing. Uh, Alice in Chains, you know, these are all bands that had started a little before the whole grunge movement that I had heard of. So the fact that they got lumped into grunge when I was already thinking of them as kind of metal bands uh, was a different turn. Now, Nirvana, Nirvana was the, you know, line in the sand where this is grunge, you know, for the masses. Okay. And that's how everyone learned about it. And right. I was never that big of a Nirvana fan. I mean, I, I can appreciate Nevermind, and I think there's some great songs on it. Uh, in Utero doesn't do much for me but i understand uh what they've done to music and pop culture i mean they're definitely uh what do you want to call it? a scene shifter oh definitely yeah, yeah i mean they're i give them credit for what they did yeah even I... though it's not particularly my cup of tea if you will but uh i i can see where things i mean i can see where things changed Okay. In the musical landscape. Um, I think I told you this a long time ago when we met, but I saw Guns N' Roses in March of 92, play the Target Center here in Minneapolis, Soundgarden open for them. And this is back in the days when, you know, Axel doesn't come out until Axel feels like playing sure, bullshit, yeah. uh, which I'm sure, you know, the union guys love because they were probably making triple overtime yeah. in those days. Um, but Soundgarden comes out at, you know, the show probably started at 8. They come out at 8.30, play for 45 minutes, great set and uh by the time they're done people are kind of eh, so so they're there to see gnr they could give a yeah, shit the friends i know that went to that show yeah uh did not come away with uh positive impressions of soundgarden oh see i thought they were great i mean i loved outshined and yeah sure they were playing all that and uh i think it was i'm talking uh, about small-minded people from Montana. <laughs> I'll yeah. say no more. Yeah. Uh, so when uh, they get done, I think it was uh, Cornell goes. Love you, Fernando. <laughs> Cornell goes. Hey, uh, I hope you guys liked us because who knows when the fuck Guns and Roses is coming out? Oh wow! And uh, it was probably about another hour and a half before they did come out. You know, it was probably about ten thirty, eleven before they started. 
But uh, I thought they were great. And then, uh, well, they were killing time between bands. Uh, they put on Smells Like Teen Spirit through the uh, PA system at Target Center. And 16,000 people that were there to see GNR got up and were just rocking out and nice. headbanging. So uh, at that point, I thought, you know, uh, grunge was out. But I still thought metal and grunge were kind of the same family, if you will. Like the people that went to see GNR could appreciate Nirvana. I, I think so. Um but I think that 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 it's that's a really good comparison because both of those bands appeal to such a wide audience. This is true, you know. But were bands like uh, you know Rat, Twisted Sister, Warrant? Uh, although I know Twisted Sister, I think was done by '87 as far as officially doing anything. But that they did not share that that same kind of mega power that of your ACDCs, yeah. things of that nature. Um, for me. It took a little bit to get pulled into grunge. Like I, I, I actually bought the Nirvana record shortly after uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" came out. I really got into that track right away. I had a hard time um, feeling the same way about the rest of the record. And as much as I can look at it now and think I get why this is a huge record, and I get why it did what it did, and, and it it definitely deserves the the appreciation and and I don't know notoriety it gets. It was just never for me. But like when uh, like Outshine came out initially, didn't it took me? I had to hear it a bunch to really get why I would like it. And same with like Man in the Box with Alan Ch- Alice in Chains. And even like uh, Pearl Jam with Alive. That seemed just a little goofy to me when it first came out. But once every one of those bands at different stages, with probably all within about a three-month period, it seems like 10 years now, but like once each one of those clicked, it was done. And so like within, I'd say, probably a six to seven-month period of my, my, my sophomore year in college, uh, I was fully immersed in everything about the, the culture, the music, all that stuff. I was still sure. listening to a lot of the stuff that I liked before, but I was happy to uh, put a boot print on on the rat and, and, and warrant and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Um, the tide had turned. And, uh, yeah, and I had turned with it is what I'm kind of getting at. It wasn't long before I was listening to Primus and all these <laughs> other things. Sure. I am happy that, like... Um, I got to the point where I was a little more open to all of it. Like it was like, all right, I still like a lot of this stuff from the eighties. Yep. These bands were great and, and a huge part of my life. And, and I'm just going to like it all. I don't care. But there was that period where it was like, you know, it had to be this stuff, this hard, you know, heavy grunge stuff. It was, like I said, it was also easier too, because like you, once you hit, you know, it was easier to accept like a lot of the lyrical and imagery stuff that went with hair metal when you're, you know, 13, 14, 15, but now you're, 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 you're 20 years old. You're trying to impress women with how intelligent you are. You're actually worried about shit like going to war, uh, things of that nature. It just, after all that, it was easier for me to accept the messages that, that Soundgarden was singing. Um, Oh, and, totally. and, and, and and buy into that kind of stuff. And like I said, the imagery was like all. It was like I just go in my closet, you know. Oh, I I own ripped jeans, uh, <laughs> a shitty pair of shoes, and a bunch of flannels and and long underwear. It's Minnesota, don't you know? Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it was something that 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 I I definitely rode the wave with. You know, I loved the Lollapalooza. Yeah. I love that whole thing that that came along. Even though I 
I be I, I think I tried to convince myself that I liked Perry Farrell as a person, and and I thought I, I definitely gave uh, fucking Jane's Addiction more of a shot than I think they deserve because their music is just gnarly to me now. <laughs> it's just it's like fingers on a chalkboard, and it, I'm not just talking about the singer. I'm just talking about the sound of the whole band. It's like just it's abrasive and rough and true. They they do have some standout songs, but yeah, they're yeah. few and far between. Yeah, but that said, they were part of the movement. All that sure. stuff was kind of happening. And like, they, like I said, music even changed in general. Like, you know, even like bands that have been around, like the Butthole Surfers or Sonic oh, yeah. Youth, kind of got a bump from this kind of stuff, you know? Well, just like uh, the Melvins, too, getting signed to Atlantic. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they, oh my God. I, well, this is probably the last time this happened, right? We're basically like a city. But, you know, it, like I said, they dragged everybody with them. All yeah. these bands into 96, 97 were getting deals just because of. Of the Seattle Sound. So where do you think the Seattle Sound ended? What was the last band? Man. Oh, last band? Yep. To, to, to make, make a it. difference? Uh, fuck. I mean, nobody really made it out of the other than the four. Uh, well, the last band to have hits out of Seattle, the Presidents of the United States. Yeah. But, did they... <laughs> but they were so far removed. They were like the last band standing in Seattle, I'm sure. That wasn't signed by the time 95, 96. Yeah, I mean, that, that one record was a big record, but... Yeah. Nobody looks back at them no, and, and, no. And, and, and puts them in the picture. Well, John Lamro does. He just had the guy on not too long ago. Yeah, that was a good episode. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I, I like that record, the, the first one. The second one with Mach 5 on it, it yeah. doesn't do it for me as much. Um, very kitschy. I mean, what yes. the, the, the the guitar player like has only two strings on his guitar. Yes, you know he 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 was go he went where Buzzo refused to go. I'm not putting shit on my guitar that I'm never going to use. Right. right. Uh, but uh, no. So like I said, uh, I think it, everything was a process. You know, you you everybody that goes through from being a teenager to a, their twenties, you basically are are a drastically different person every year oh, yeah. for the next fourteen fifteen years. Until you basically you're like, well, I'm going to work today, honey. Uh, this is actually who I am for the rest of my life, you know. But uh, how about uh, second tier grunge bands? Your Candle Boxes and I can't think of any other second tier grunge bands right now. Yeah, we should have looked that up because uh, I didn't see them on the list. But you know, their, that first album they had was pretty big. I, I took a little bit of offense to some of that stuff, like them and who's another one. Uh, Hi, Collective Soul. Oh yeah, yeah. Like they just seem like this kind of prepackaged version of what grunge should be, and then that fucking resulted in shit like uh, goddamn Matchbox Twenty coming oh, along, yeah. and it's just like, see, this is why you don't, you know, fucking uh, turn like something like grunge into a corporate entity because you just can't do it properly. I mean. Collective Soul, those guys are never doing heroin. No. <laughs> yeah, those fucking pussies. Do the real, do the Matchbox real. Matchbox 20? Yeah. Eh, fuck them. Do you think they know what a needle looks like in this fucking... <laughs> you, you think they know what it feels like to fucking run a spots to put a needle? They got to put it between their toes? <laughs> um, I'm drawing a blank here. I'm drawing a blank here. Collective Soul, they did lightning crashes. Uh, no, that was eight. There's another one, Live. Live. Yeah. I remember I saw something on VH1 years ago where Live said, yeah, you know, uh, our manager saw that the grunge wave was crest, you know, hidden just as we started. And they said, go down to the, you know, Salvation Army store and go buy some flannel shirts for your album cover. Like, oh, man. They were essentially, like, told to 
dressed the part. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. you know, rappers wearing Raiders hats back in the early Well, 90s. like Seven Mary 3, they were kind of at that tail end of that shit. Oh, they were sure. still wearing uh, flannel. Yeah. Who do you think faked it best out of, like, the 80s bands? I mean, Kiss did uh, Carnival <laughs> Souls, which I, I love. I think that's a great you, record. A lot of people, what's the one uh, Warrant record that people like? Uh, there's oh, so not, few to choose from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> belly to Belly, I think. Is that the name of it? Oh, oh God, no. I can't remember that far back now. Get Sinzak on the phone. <laughs> we got. We need a guest for the Rock and Pod Four. Yeah, Let's okay. Get those guests. <laughs> um, did you uh, dabble in any of that stuff? I know, like, God, I'm, I'm blanking. There was a bunch of bands that, that tried it. Like, you even know, Bullet uh, Boys did. I'm gonna, Bullet Boys. Yes. Uh, give a shout out here to uh, to my buddy Craig Smith. But uh, the Monkeys of all bands reunited with all four members in 1996 and did an album called Just Us, where they just all of them wrote the songs, performed the songs, you know, like a real thing. That's why nobody heard it. Yeah, Excuse and it me. had a very grunge <laughs> tone to it. Really? Which you would not have expected the Monkees to uh, have a darker side. But some of the songs were, you know, light, poppy, fluffy stuff, your Davy Jones variety. But And some of it was kind of very dark and dank, uh, which was very surprising. So even they jumped on the 96, you know, dark rock scene. So You're, you're, you're a little younger than me, so it was grunge kind of hitting like in junior high, high school? No, 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 no. Senior in high school in 91. Okay. So uh, I had a friend. Well, not that far then. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm old enough, damn it. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend I'm who. I'm trying to uh, paint a picture here. You know, you're, who, uh, you're definitely super old. <laughs> who listened to college radio uh, uh. only. And the fact that she was in my car one day and she, I put on uh, uh, 93X, yeah. which was the heavy metal station at the time in Minneapolis. And they were playing. They were just starting to play teen, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And she was like, what the hell is this doing on here? So she was shocked as hell that her little indie college rocks uh, group was now making the mainstream uh, hard rock station in town. That would have been, you know, like fall of 91. But uh, I got on board with uh, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Uh, I don't really, I don't know if I really consider them grunge too. I mean, that for the ten uh, doesn't sound that grungy to me, if you will. Um, it kind of sounds straight ahead rock and roll almost. I, I think um, uh, the fact that those four bands sound so different and are all considered grunge to me opens up what we consider grunge a little bit. I know I've, I've definitely heard the Stone Temple thing a little bit. Yeah. I actually thought, thought Stone Temple was one of those bands that was generic as fuck when they came out. <laughs> um, I, I've grown to really appreciate what they did, uh, but yeah. my, that was my first reaction when I heard uh, uh, Sex Type Thing. Sure. Um, and I was like, well, that's War Machine trying to be Soundgarden. Um, but, but to me, uh, it, uh, there are more layers to it. It isn't just... Uh, shit like the Melvins that doesn't have to sound quite like that to me I always thought Nirvana was more of a punk band than they were grunge but like I get why they're lumped in the, you know, the whole sure. thing comes from there basically if you have a guitar a bass player and a drummer and you're from Seattle you were grunge right sorry Queens right <laughs> I have a buddy who, who said like the, the last real musical genre that was created was rap because if you look at you know alternative and grunge it was just a play off of the oh of course post punk of the late 70s early 80s so uh, so he always made the analogy. He's always waiting for the next you know new thing to come, and it just hasn't showed up. All right. And here we are in 2020. <laughs> Talking about grunge. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to side two. Lock the jail. It's all known as 
Side two opens up with the track Zodiac, or it's, I guess should we call it side two? Fuck, I don't know where they would have broke uh, this damn thing. I would have bought uh, ninety one. I was still buying tapes, so I'll go with your side two. Okay, side two is uh, I'm not even sure. I've never seen this cassette, so I could be wrong <laughs> with that. With an eight minute track, you might only have three on side one. But that's uh, true. Anyway, track five, Zodiac comes in at four minutes and fifteen seconds, so a little bit longer than some of these other ones. Uh, what do you got here, Andy? Uh, this was my second uh, favorite track on the album. Uh, nice. I thought I was blown away by the guitar work. Uh, Buzz really laid it down on here. And again, uh, these guys are awesome drum and bass players. Uh, Excuse Lorax me. And <laughs> I mean, I, I am impressed with their musicianship. I mean, it's yeah. this very dark and, uh, you know, slow music, but uh, it is impressive. I mean, uh, you can tell they can play. Good point. It does to me. I mean, I get it, to, to be honest with you. I remember going to clubs in Minneapolis around this time. Uh, when you know, especially when I first moved up here, and seeing kind of these local bands that that kind of drew a little bit of attention, because when you listen to this now, it's like, how did anybody ever get into this? But you kind of had to be part of the thing to kind of get it. I mean, you would actually like meet girls and then try to fuck them. <laughs> At a show like this, you know what I mean? You wasn't all dance clubs, you know what I mean? And, you know, looking good. You know, you could stink, you know? I mean, I, I was never a pot smoker, but, you know, you could smell like a, a bong hit with stale beer and yeah. still, you know, score if you had game. Whew. Uh, my, my days. <laughs> I didn't. I had plenty of stale beer, but I didn't have bong hits or game. So I uh, went home home, home most of, alone most of the time. But, uh, so yeah. Some things done for change. Uh. <laughs> That's why I got married. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was a fun riff. Uh, this is almost, uh, I don't know, like like Sabbath on steroids a little bit. It's yeah, kind of, you know, and they, there's a lot of kind of Sabbath, you know, influence on these guys for sure. Oh, yeah. But this one is more riffy than a lot of what he's done here. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think a guitar work I would agree with. I don't know. the, the I said it like this. Kind of like how fans of Green Day would probably have a hard time um, listening to most, like, real punk like the oh, stuff, sure. or, or the stuff that influenced Green Day. That's probably a better way to put it. They might like Green Day, right. but they would really have a hard time with like JFA or the Dead Kennedys or stuff oh, like sure. that. You know, Melvins are a hard pill to swallow for fans that probably really enjoyed Alice in Chains or or Nirvana that kind of stuff. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, because unless you were a fan of Melvins and then those bands, but if you were like, ah, fucking, I love Teen Spirit and I that got me into you know Man in the Box. And then I listened to Melvin's because a fucking Kurt Cobain said I'd like this shit. <laughs> this was probably a little difficult. Kind of like my buddy's sister who had Metallica's Black album, but probably was not going to be going back to Ride the Lightning. Exactly. So, so uh, and again, you can you can hate the Black album, but you're not being honest if you don't understand why that became massive. Oh sure. Over the and the, the other records are plenty successful too, but. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. We'll skip the lyrics on this one. Uh, track six is called If I Had an Exorcism. It's not luck that you could feel just like I'm too much more. Hanging my neck feels too good to me. Like somebody took a coat hanger. Munched it and tired from the side. Now this kind of reminded me uh, You remember the old folk song If I Had a Hammer? 
Yeah. Well, I had a hammer, a hammer in the morning. I wish yeah, I who had. Who doesn't? <laughs> no, of course Trini Lopez shot out on the Cobras and Fire uh, podcast. Uh, I wish I had a hammer and started beating the hell out of my ears when I heard this one. This one uh, did not do much for me. Zero Doc Martens. Zero Doc Martens. And uh, he almost did kind of like, you remember the old character actor Peter Lorre from the old uh, like 40s movies? Um he was in Casablanca. Rick, help me. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, he kind of does a Peter Laurie impression, you know, kind of like Igor from uh, oh, Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, the song kicks off with kind of random drums uh, with Buzzo singing between. So there's no actual, like, music. It's just drumming at the, at the very beginning with, yeah. with uh, again, can you really call it a melody? <laughs> um, this record feels damp like you can almost like smell like like wetness when you're listening to it uh it, like it, it, you the skies feel overcast while you're you get into this part of the record anyway i really like buzz's playing on this this song though um that long single note i know it seems dumb where he hits it right at the end there i i really like the way that kind of carried out the end of the track so it gets uh, three doc martins from me more than generous. Maybe it's something else that I was reading or dealing with. Oh, I have a young Frankenstein reference. Oh, nice. All right, so let's get to track seven. Uh, this one is called Your... Oh, wait. But before we go to track seven, let me just read the lyrics for this because I can read them all. There aren't that many. So for the lyrics for it's... If I had an exorcism are this. It's not like you could feel just... Like you, what you want more metal? Heh, hanging from your neck like feels too good to be real. Like somebody took a coat hanger, munched it and tore it from the sign. Stin stern stin. stin. This is my favorite line. <laughs> I mean, right there. I mean, that's up there with McCartney's yesterday. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to get why Eric Miller says you like to beat jokes to death. <laughs> Uh, uh, do you have a different? Do you have another lyricist? Maybe Dylan. Uh, uh, actually, uh, vocal styling wise, this is kind of reminiscent of Dylan. I, I don't understand what the hell either one of them are saying. Yeah, so. yeah, all right, you get led near Baco. Oh God, Melvin should do a record with Dylan. Ooh, Melvin no one Dylan. would know what the or, fuck. It'd be Dylan and Melvin's. Yeah, I gotta give uh, Dylan props first. No, Top he, Dylan. He would insist on it. That the fucking plagiarist. <laughs> All right, so the next song is called uh, Your... Uh, I'm sorry.
<laughs> you're, you're blessed. You're blessed. Okay, this comes in at three minutes and seven seconds. What do you have for me on this one, Andy? Uh, I thought there was some great guitar work on top of the drums and bass, finally. Like, I could hear the guitar riff over the bass and drums okay. for once. They weren't as overpowering as they've been uh, throughout the whole album. Um, but other than that, the song didn't really do much for me. Uh, yeah, not a lot for me either. Uh, the again, he kind of opens up with more off-time drums that I really don't know how to describe. Uh, but again, back to the guitar tone, I wrote down that I, I love it, especially for an '89 indie record. Um, I, I mean, I literally wrote this down. I think the guitar tone on this is literally better than like Dawkins' "Breaking the Chains" record, and that was something that was done in his studio. And you got a guitar player like George Lynch, sure. And, and people are gonna like that's a preposterous statement i'm like i don't know that that tone sounds cheap on that record and it might have been because they, they probably didn't have the money to do a lot of stuff sure. you know what i mean but the fact that like somebody in seattle could do this you know and with you know recording the two-inch tape or whatever the hell they used in but 1990. Uh, yeah so um but uh and like i said the, the drums sound good too um the record closes out with a track called cow Second longest song on the record is four minutes and thirty one seconds. Uh, well, what do you, what do you have here, Andy? Uh, this was my third favorite track from the album. Actually, the the three that I've named are the actual three tracks that I liked from the album. Nice. So, uh, so it's my third. Um, it's an interesting song because, like you said, it's four and a half minutes. But after like the two after the last two and a half minutes of the song, it's just uh, Crover going off. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, is this supposed to have been like a demo? Is this where they were? Um, like just miking up the drums and they're trying to figure out what they wanted the sound to be and they just let him go off or you know was this I'm curious if this was intentional where they just let him go off on a two and a half minute drum solo to close it off it, it definitely felt because it, it it doesn't sound deliberately like a drum solo the way it starts you know it's just kind of a and the fact that like it does kind of carry into I don't know a bit of a solo I'm almost with you like they just decided fuck it yeah, they might have just like uh, go grab a beer. Yeah, um, we'll see you in two and a half minutes. But well, uh, it's Seattle, let's go grab a Rainier draft. Ah, there you go, Rainier, so Rainier, Rainier. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think it's kind of a neat way to end the record. To be honest with you, uh, the, the the definitely kind of encapsulates um, the the different way these bands from Seattle approached recording and writing and doing albums, that kind of stuff. Okay. So um, it definitely wasn't the typical, you know. And, and, and <laughs> no, nothing about this album is typical. No, I give yeah. them credit for that. And I think a lot of that. Now, while this was definitely not meant for mainstream, like you, you can oh, you can take a record like like uh, smells like teen, or, or never mind, and understand how even though that was really harsh at the time, 
you kind of look at it like this still kind of hits the it checks the boxes that, that that a hit record needs. Oh, totally. All that stuff is kind of spawned out of this idea that like let's just break down the walls and 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 let's not let's paint outside the lines that kind of stuff. Let's let's look at everything different. And this definitely encapsulates that. I, I think even though I probably won't listen to this record ever again intentionally, <laughs> um, I think it belongs on the list. Uh, yes, I can see this being a, uh, a momentous album and uh, groundbreaking for what it is. And for for people who are into sludge metal and stoner metal out there, I could see where they totally dig this vibe. Like this is this is the this is playing to them right there. Yeah. So. And and Dale Crover can take a tip from me too, and like you have a signature drum kit that doesn't have a hi hat. <laughs> Yeah, who needs to carry all that shit down the load? Yeah, exactly. A little less to carry it on. Maybe that. Maybe that was the like uh, the necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> Lack of necessity is the mother of invention. It's like uh, I don't need to carry this, so right. I won't. If I don't use it, then I don't need it. That's right. Uh, so yeah, he created his own sound by being lazy. So uh, I mentioned uh, just a quick note uh, that they definitely had. The, I think they had nine different drummers over the course of their career. None of them uh, longer base, than four or five players. years. Or I'm uh, bass players. Yeah. Kurt, thank you very much. Um, like I said, this is kind of like I said, it was Tools, Idiot Stepbrother, and I wrote down Sabbath, Idiot Stepbrother. So you're not the only one who likes to take a joke and beat it to death. Right. Uh, for me, it's the Idiot Stepbrother. But, uh, <laughs> uh, or maybe, <laughs> this is good. I, this, is, this is all random gibberish like I've scribbled here. Sewell, <laughs> Sewell. Sabbath and Tool had a baby that died, and it was reanimated with the brain of young Frankenstein. <laughs> That's nice. the Melvins to me. Very nice. So. Now, to summarize the album, uh, my thoughts were, this is the perfect soundtrack to listen to while you're waiting in line at the Methadone Clinic. So, <laughs> nice one. This would have been on my Walkman yeah. in 1991 if I was in line at the Methadone oh, Clinic. Oh, nice. Uh, maybe if. <laughs> when. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Dale, Clover, uh, Dale Clover also only goes through one drum skin. Like, uh, he, the rest of his, they, they last years. I'll, but that floor tom, that fucker gets replaced daily. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did hear an interview with them. Uh, I found an interview with them from Sound Opinions in Chicago. Oh, really? Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, they were saying, like, he's supposed to use some much heavier drumsticks. Um, and it, I think it shows in some of these songs yeah. that he's really beating the hell out of it. That's where I get the John Bonham thing. Sure. Because uh, he's just beating the hell out of those things. I haven't seen a beating that bad since uh, I went to the Blacksmith Tent at the Renaissance Festival. So. <laughs> But don't go. He walked into your son's uh, room when he was on 14. <laughs> no comment. Uh, <laughs> I would encourage anybody that has never heard either one of these guys interviewed is to spend the next five years just listening to the, the Melvins on occasion. Yeah. And then looking up one of their interviews because it is amazing. Like, like especially King Buzzo is like... He's articulate. Oh yeah, he's and of course he looks like he's a homeless man with a <laughs> out of control afro. Is like you know Shaka, Shaka Bob Shaka Khan uh, does his hair uh, featuring Rufus. Oh yeah, Fe- uh, featuring Rufus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's yeah he's uh, he's he has no votes for the Hall of Fame, so oh, they're they're fucked. But uh, uh, any closing uh, thoughts on this? Uh, oh, you know I forgot to mention that the song Boris reminded me uh, of the song from Clerks, uh, Berserker. My love for you is like a oh, truck berserker. Yeah. Would you like some making Clarks. fuck berserker? Kind of had the same vibe, and uh, I was curious if maybe they were trying to do a, a Boris parody or something. When did Clerks the, come out? 
Oh, uh, yeah, I get you. Yeah, you're right. They would have recorded that in 93. Yep. So you were saying maybe the, the, the writers for that were going for that, Yes, right? yes. Kind of a monotonous drum, you know, slow burn. Yeah. So I kind of like some of that stuff. But uh, uh, did you want some, you, you were going to mention some uh, shout outs to? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, I got to give uh, shout outs to my uh, podcast groupie brothers. Of course, we got, you know, Sean Cullen. Oh, nice. We got Bill Ellum. And then Is it we, Elam or Elam? Elam. I'm sorry. I fucked that up. And then my the one I really like, Jay Sabluski. Jay-Z. Or, or when I first met him at Rock and Pod years ago, and he told me his name, I was like, how the fuck am I going to remember that? So I always say, Jay Sabluchis, when I think of his name. That's kind of the rhyme I came up with. <laughs> so I can remember. Jay Sabluchis. Jay Sabluski. That's how I kind of remember how to pronounce his name. So. Uh, that's how we do it in Minnesota. Oh, hey, yeah. Don't you know? Don't you know? Tater tot hot dish. Tater tots. Uh, uh, I, I, I just remember um, first time I met uh, Jay Zabluski, uh he said hello and then about uh, eight seconds later I had a, he had piggybacked me to the other end of the arena or the, <laughs> the, the, the rock and pod room I should say arena uh, and, and he was gone like uh, like a fucking uh, uh, that uh, what's that thing uh, the coyote chases uh, Roadrunner Roadrunner yeah. <laughs> that's uh, Jay Z he's a fucking moving machine man Thanks a lot, Andy. I really appreciate you coming down. Uh, this is my new little endeavor I'm trying on the side of Cobras and Fire. Uh, whatever, never mind. You were the a, a wonderful first guest host. Oh, thank you. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you back. Maybe you do another episode down the road. Hell yeah! All right, we'll talk about that off off mic and figure out what record we're gonna do. But today was, uh, of course, we started off at 25 with Melvin's Bullhead. Now I'm gonna ask everybody who comes on the show to to tell me where the album that we just reviewed landed on their own personal re-ranking, which means I'm asking everybody who comes on to re-rank their own personal list using only these 25 records. Now, the, for the listener, what I'm asking the, the, anybody that comes on to do is to any record they hadn't heard automatically goes to the back. Uh, in other words, it's just not fair to to rank something lower than something you never heard. Sure, it, I'm just you know it's probably gonna fuck me up when I'm trying to do the math at the end. Uh, <laughs> but but you there is a decent uh, there's f- uh, five records on here that are new to me. Um, oh, how many had you not heard? Uh, eight of them. Okay, so eight out of twenty five. Okay, so with that in mind, where what number did the Melvins uh, bullhead come in at? So I gave it number seventeen. Which is exactly nine spots yes. off of past the eight. So, <laughs> so right pretty now, pretty good at math there, Baco. Uh, of, of every record on this list that you've heard, this is worse than all of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I do like three songs off of it. I would. I'd probably actually listen to it shoved again because I did like that. So. Uh, all right, fair enough. So uh, something might squeeze its way into your playlist. Uh, for me. I had this at 16, so not a whole lot higher than you. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the stuff I have below it, uh, I don't have a whole lot of love for. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe as I go through this, my list, the, the thing is, like, I'm going to do every record. So, like, right. I, my list might actually be a little fluid by the time I'm done. Things are going to slide around a little bit. Sure. Uh, I don't know how transparent I can be with that. I'll do my best. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have one hell of an Excel spreadsheet, though, by the time you're done with go- talking to 24 other people. All right. So. <laughs> well, 23 if you come back. Well, that's on. true. There we go. <laughs> There's some more quick math for you. Uh, <laughs> and now, if you can find someone who's an L7 fan, hats off to you, brother. There's no way Joey Haney won't do that one. <laughs> if he was down for the Melvins. That's, I was like, true. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, L7 I, was one of those bands I remember, but they, they were kind of 
flash in the pan as far as I can recall. Yeah, I like uh, I like the Pretend That We're Dead song off that record, and I, I, I at one point owned it. I might still. Wow. I just don't remember much else on it, so I'm looking forward to kind of getting back into that one. There's there's a lot of these that are that are just kind of forgotten that I know I've heard. Oh, they sure. just they just weren't something that was a standout for me. Um, and uh, to your point, John Lamoureux has already volunteered to take any episode nobody wants. Oh, nice. So uh, I got that in my pocket. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, that guy could probably just I could probably just sit back and let him go. Be careful, he might start doing all twenty all the the other twenty four albums as well. So. <laughs> Maybe he'll do like a Bizarro list. What would be the Bizarro <laughs> grunge? Like he'll do like a twenty five hair metal or something. Uh, or, something like that. Yeah. Or uh, you know I don't know like teen pop. pop. Ooh, uh, K-pop. K-pop. Ooh, yeah. Even better. Like all the kids are saying. <laughs> well, before we get out of here, Andy, we don't always hang out all that often. Uh, anything else you want to get into? Uh, well, I would like to thank you for having me on here on uh, Cobras and Fire. Although, you know, I have well, been on. This is actually a sidecast. Oh, I'm so sorry. You, you're I'm on uh, <laughs> Whatever Never Mind. Whatever Never Mind. A, yeah. a subcast. Yes. Uh, of, yeah, that's a good uh, one. Cobras yeah. and Fire. But, you know, I've been on the Pods and Sods Network uh, several times. Yes. So now it's a little bit of a letdown that I'm on the Hydrox Cookie of podcasts compared to being on that Oreo Double Stuff oh. of the Pods and Sods. So, uh, oh, man, you know, you're hurting my feelings here, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to cry. And uh, then I'm going to get angry, oh, and, and I'm going to do like a lash out side episode. You motherfucker. You motherfucker. Yeah, no. Uh, you, I actually, you know, when, uh, when Craig was out, I, I didn't even know that you guys had, like talked or knew each other. I don't know, for whatever reason. Uh, the three of us should have fucking got together. I, I realized that after, after the fact, yes, because yeah, uh, right. him and I went out to dinner, and then he said he was going out to breakfast with you the next day or something. Mm, so. Yeah. Next next December because he he wants to do his uh, he went to uh, trek he took you to uh, uh, Paisley Park Paisley Park and you got him sick you motherfucker and I did uh, not know that yeah uh, coronavirus oh, he had it first <laughs> uh, just like the jerk sock joke apparently he invented jerk sock so. <laughs> <laughs> Although Ken Mills will tell you, you know, Ken yeah, Mills was jerk socking yeah, back in the day. Of all the things so. to claim you invented, the, the jerk sock, it can't be one of them. We had a fantasy football trophy. I used to be commissioner of a league, and it was called Lord Jerk Sock. And you know who named it? This guy. Nice. That was uh, decades before I ever heard Pods and Sides. Not only that, but I brought it up on the episode before uh, I ever started listening. To, I didn't really start getting into Pods and Sides until I met Craig and Eric at the first Rock and Pod. Oh, sure. Um, uh, other than that, the, the couple things that loose uh like episodes that he would turn me on to like oh you should check this one out in sure. particularly but uh it was nice to hear the two of them talk together i don't know whatever it is it's just uh, maybe because you only get it once a year it just seems much more magical maybe that's the like, secret uh, loose and i should only talk once wife. a year you know, once <laughs> a year it's very magical <laughs> Uh, it's learning more about Andy Shaw than anyone wanted to right there. But, uh, right on. That's what, <laughs> hey, that's what I like to do. I like to expose the uh, the inner belly of the, the human. There we go. So, yeah, your your son jacks off and uh, <laughs> you're uh, disappointed <laughs> to your wife. <laughs> that's, that's the takeaway from uh, son of a bitch, the Melvin's so record. Well. <laughs> All right, uh, Andy, let's get out of here. Uh, I'm going to try to, to end every one of these shows with this. It's going to be basically grunge isn't dead, but uh, whatever. Never mind.
Sorry. What's up? Oh, well, I can take that. It's an All important right. podcasting See ya. on here. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Oh, that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous. Oh, please, he's just another RV League educated surgeon with good hair. No, he's different. Nurses, we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror. Meet me in the OR. Stat. Right away, doctor. No, 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 she's on break. I'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little... When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.